Uh, I want to try and condense, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on, uh, as Dave alluded to there. The past three years has been a crazy whirlwind roller coaster, white knuckle rapid ride for, for us. Uh, so there's been a lot going on. So what I want to try and do is uh, deposit something into you guys of what God has put in me. Uh, because everything that I've seen and everything that we've been blessed to be part of is, is because of Jesus. Um, uh, and I guess the only thing we gave him uh, was our BO, as I like to call it. Uh, put your hand up if you think you have BO. Now, I, I believe every Christian on the planet has BO, okay? Some more than others. Uh, what BO is, is boldness and obedience. And all we have to give God is our boldness and our obedience, no matter how small, no matter how limited. And if you hand that over as a sacrifice, I believe that you, you can see the same things as, as what we've seen. The way I like to describe it is your left leg is boldness and your right leg is obedience. And if you move forward in boldness and obedience, boldness and obedience, before you know it, you'll be face to face with a human being who doesn't know Jesus. And then you can begin the process, allowing the Lord to do what he does. So for me, what I'm going to sort of relate to you guys is like a big part of what I want to say is how I felt inadequate when I was employed. Because whenever I say the E word, uh, and that's evangelism, not eggs, for those who are still in Easter mode. Uh, whenever I say the E word, evangelism, it sends this sort of shiver down people's spine, you know, they feel like nervous and what's he going to ask us to do and they start feeling pressure. Now, what, what I want to try and dispel is that fear because evangelism is not something we have to fear. It's something to be embraced. It's not something that God uh, picks on people as a, as a punishment. He doesn't say, I'm going to pick you to be an evangelist or I'm going to pick you. You know, it's actually something that, that I believe we're all called to do. Uh, so for me, I felt out of my depth inadequate. I didn't feel I had what it took to be the man who, who could go and do this, this job that I was being employed to do. So I was extremely nervous, extremely dependent upon God. And what happened in my dependency, in my uh, uh, fear, I guess, apprehension, all that stuff, I stood on the streets on my first day and I said, God, I need you to teach me how to fish. That was the analogy I used because I don't think I know what I'm doing. Now, my pastor kind of was like, I see something in you. And, and he's like, you know, God's gifted you in this way. And I was, I was seeing people come to Jesus. I was seeing maybe a, one person every five to six weeks uh, make a response to the Lord in my own environment, whether that be my workplace or, or you know, in, in social life. Or I, was see, I was seeing something, but nothing compared to the level that, that I was being expected to, uh, to reap, you know. So it was a big, big shift for me. To the point, like I was on crisis talks with one, one of my best friends, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this because I just felt this pressure. And what I found is the number one disabler, the number one crippler for any Christian sharing the gospel is, is uh, pressure. Whenever you feel pressure, you stop being you. And the problem with that is this, is that you are the gift to the world. You are a gift to the world. So God, doesn't, God didn't make two Todd Whites or two, whoever your hero is, two Charles Spurgeons, whoever it is. Uh, God didn't make two. He made one of them and one of you. Because what he's placed in you is enough. Because uh, in, in the words of Reinhard Bonnke, God is not a, a duplicator, but a creator. So God has placed in you what the world needs. I just believe we have to rouse it. We have to uh, bring it to the, the, the surface. Uh, so what happened with me? I said, God, look, I need you so bad here. Because, you know, I had visions of like ending up in the doll queue. I've got four kids. I've got mouths to feed. I was getting paid to be an evangelist. I left my full-time job where I worked in Belfast in Sandy Row. Uh, beautiful establishment. wasn't really. Uh, that's where I worked in, in a 60-bed homeless shelter, the second biggest in Belfast. That was my full-time job. I was leaving to take a six-month trial, fruit-dependent job. That was the job I was taking. I was extremely nervous. So I said, God, please teach me how to fish. Um, and the Lord is so gracious and he's so kind and he always honors us uh, when we honor him. So this is what happened. I go onto the streets and I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And this is what the Holy Spirit says to me. He says, Scott, look around this town. Okay, so imagine, you, imagine yourselves in a busy town. 
in a busy community. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. Imagine all these people like apples on a tree. Okay? You with me so far? When you share, I'll shake. That's what he said to me. And that just like changed everything for me. So everywhere I go, you know, I go, uh, I travel uh, quite a bit these days. And, and everywhere I go, the one thing people always take away that impacts them the most is that there. You share and he'll shake. Okay? So what that means is that if you think about Balmer Hinch or, or this, these communities, these surrounding areas, think about people like apples on a tree. Whenever you share this gospel, the Holy Spirit will come like a wind and he will shake the tree. Now what that means is this. Some apples are going to move a little. Some apples are not going to move at all. And some apples are going to fall. That's what's going to happen. So what that meant for me, this is what happened. I had this revelation. I thought, that means all the pressure is off me. I don't have to make something happen. And again, the biggest disabler for you and I sharing our faith is pressure. And what the Holy Spirit needed to do to me, he needed to, he needed to say, Scott, I need to take you back to the basics. I need to take you back to the place where nobody knew you, nobody even cared what you were doing or was bothered what you were doing. That place where you just did it for me, I need to take you back there. But there's no pressure, there's no feeling of what if this, what if not that, am I getting paid? You know, just, he needs to bring it back to the basics. So that's it. You share, he shakes. John chapter 6, verse 44 says this, Jesus said, nobody can come to me except the Father draws them. So I believe the Father draws people by his Holy Spirit when the wind of his presence comes and shakes a person's life. In the Psalms, it says that we are the apple of his eye. So I believe we're all an apple. I believe everyone in this room, if you know Jesus, you were once an apple on that tree, but you had to be caught. So everybody is a potential apple that could fall. So if you imagine, I think evangelism is like walking through an orchard. And any time, apples could just, could just fall. So I believe everybody, when I go out to the streets, I look at everybody as a potential apple that could fall today. I think it, it's their, it could be their day today until, until they tell me it isn't. That's the way I'm looking at it. So what I want to try and do to you, for you guys is to try and get you in that space mentally where you, as your mindset becomes one of God could use me to do the same things as what he did with him. Because I 100% believe it. Okay. When Jesus gave the really good commission, sorry, when Jesus gave the very good commission, no, it's not that, is it? When Jesus gave the great commission, do you know what he did? He gave it to disciples, not to evangelists. So you maybe say, well, it's okay for you, you're an evangelist, you do this kind of thing, this is your gift. That's true. I've been gifted with the office of an evangelist, but everybody is called to reap. Everybody's called to play their part. Everybody. Because Jesus gave the great commission to you, to you, to me, to the whole church. He didn't select evangelists. He said, disciples, go and make disciples. So what we've got to try and do is break down this fear. Because I believe the enemy has lied to the church. I believe the devil has lied to the church. Uh, scripturally, if we look in, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, sorry, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. The difference between sowing and reaping is what stops the church being fruitful. Simple as that. The only, the only thing that I've seen and our community has seen is because we have gone to reap and not to sow. So it's not down to Coleraine, or it's not down to the water or, or, the, or the certain type of people. You can see here what we've seen there. And actually, you know, it's been proven. Because for the past two years, I've been traveling around the UK, Ireland, Europe, beyond, uh, and more recently America. And we've seen exactly the same things as what we've seen in our community. Exactly. Because do you know why? Let me tell you why. The Holy Spirit is universal. And unfortunately, so is sin. Sin is also universal. And wherever you get the Holy Spirit and sin, fireworks go off. Wherever you get God in the presence 
of darkness. Light in the presence of darkness, things change. Simple as that. So for me, what the Holy Spirit began to show me was that this is about reaping and not just sowing. So the church, the wider church is amazing at sowing. We're incredible at it. We do, uh, you know, there's so many ministries we, we, where we sow. Uh, let's say uh, street pastors, food giveaways, cap, uh, all sorts of things. Now the kingdom of God is sowing and reaping. I'm not uh, trying to like, this is not a slight against sowing. It's part of the kingdom. It's not even part of the kingdom. It's part of, uh, it's a law of life that we sow and then we reap. You know, obviously farmers more than anybody know, know, uh, you know the truth of this principle, don't they? A farmer would go and he would sow his crop and he would expect to reap it. He wouldn't sit there wondering, I wonder if anything's going to happen. But he knows because he's experienced enough the law of this life, the law of this nature to know that when he, when he plants, he's going to reap. So what did Jesus say about it? This is what the Holy Spirit showed me, uh, a revelation for me, and I hope it will be for you. Jesus said this, do you not say, he said to his disciples, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you now, lift up or open your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 35. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. Do you not say, this is what Jesus was, was uh, engaging with his disciples. Now, do we not say as the church, this is how people come to know Jesus. This is how people become disciples. Isn't that the way we say? Isn't that the way we have the, the order that we have? Just like the four months we plant, four months we wait, then there's the harvest. We have an order of doing things, yeah? As, as the church. Let me give you an example. The Alpha Course. I love the Alpha Course. I did it myself. Uh, I know a lot of the guys that are involved in it. I think it's a brilliant thing. But let me tell you this. The Alpha Course. Let's use it as an example. 12-week course. We get people into church. They come along. They have the meal. They, do, and they engage in the discussion. And they go home. The next week. They come back, same again. That's our process. That's our four months, just as an example. That's our four months of planting to harvest. They come, da 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 okay? That's great. That's perfect, and it's amazing, and God's using it and blessing it, and there's many other things like that. But I believe that's sowing. But what Jesus is saying is this. You don't have to wait four months. You can have it right now. Right now. That's what he said. Open your eyes and see. The fields are white for harvest. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? I'm telling you now, it's harvest time. We don't have to wait, people. We don't have to wait four months. Now, there's been a, there's been a myth that's gone into the church where we have to sow for 20 years before we can see any, any fruit. That's kind of the way, that's the way people think. Well, I can't see anything because I've just planted this church, so I can't see anything here until I've like blood, sweat, and tears for 20 years. And then maybe I'll start seeing something. But I don't believe that's true. Let me tell you why. The, the community, uh, what, what precedes this scripture here is the woman at the well. Okay, the woman at Samaria. And this is what happens here. Jesus, uh, the woman at the well encounters, encounters the Messiah. Okay? And she goes and tells the people about this man she's just met. That's a community that hasn't been reached yet. One shame-scarred lady. You all know the story about the woman at the well. One shame-scarred lady who'd been hiding in the shadows, masking her face. One encounter with the Messiah, and she became an emboldened evangelist, sharing the gospel in the marketplace. One encounter with the Messiah, she changed, changed everything. She never went to Bible school. She never went on any discipleship programs, never went away on a mission. She had one encounter with the Messiah, boom, she was an evangelist instantly and she went and shared the gospel in an area that hadn't been reached yet then it says this then it says this here verse 31 meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying rabbi i have uh, i have food to eat uh, sorry uh, rabbi you need to eat and jesus said i have food that is from my father okay now what i'm trying to say is this that community had not been touched with the gospel and jesus then says this that's the, that's the area where it's harvest. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit showed me. That community over there, how can that be harvest? Because there's one woman who's, who doesn't even know what she's doing. And she hasn't even come back yet. She's away telling these men 
about, the, about this guy, about the Messiah. And then the scripture says, meanwhile, before they'd even got back, Jesus says this, harvest time over there. How can that be? How can it be harvest time in a place where only one lady's only just gone and they haven't even come back yet? Let me tell you how. The reason is because the gospel is power. The gospel is not a feather that we go and tickle people behind the ear with. It's a sledgehammer. When you apply a sledgehammer to a surface, what's going to happen? Something's going to crack. When you take a sledgehammer, boom, you smack that thing on a surface, something's going to crack. Now we need to start waking up a little bit with the gospel because what we have in our hand, what we've been entrusted with is power. Simple as that. Pure power. The Bible says the, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Now we've been sitting, we've been sitting on this power. We've been, we've been sitting on this dynamite, this TNT for so long. And, and we've used it like a pillow when it's an explosive. And we need to wake up and start using it for what it is. It's power. It changes. It has the power to change and transform lives in an instant. And I've seen it time and time again from people who say, I'm not interested. No, no, it's not for me. Bang. They, they encounter the power and they're forever changed. It's the truth. Open your eyes and see. Open your eyes. So the difference between some of you guys in here and me is only one thing. It's not that I'm better than you. It's not that uh, I, I fell from heaven or anything, or anything like that. Uh, let me tell you what it is. I open my eyes. That's it. And I'm not talking about these ones either. I'm talking about my spiritual eyes. Let me tell you why. When we look at people, we make an assumption. We make a judgment. So I could look at Dave. I could look at the way he's dressed, his hairstyle, his nice bronze tan. And I can make an assumption of the kind of guy he is. I might be right, I might be wrong. But what I'm doing, I'm making an assumption from looking at him through my earthly lens. What we need to start doing is looking through heaven's lens. And let me tell you why, because everything looks different when you look through heaven's lens. So if I look at a drug addict or a criminal through my earthly lens, I'm going to make an assessment and a judgment on that man, and then I'm going to determine where he is in regard to my uh, willingness to share the gospel with him. I can look at a pilot or a man with a six-figure salary driving a sports car. Through my earthly lens, I'm going to make an assumption as to where he is in, in regard to me sharing the gospel to him. Would you agree with that? When we look through heaven's lens, everything changes. So look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man up a tree. You know the story. I believe it's more than a Sunday school song. I believe that the Zacchaeus story is central to, to the gospel in, in ways that you can't even imagine. Zacchaeus was a man up a tree, as you all know. But, but what's incredible about Zacchaeus is that Jesus was concluding his public ministry in Galilee and Judea. This was the last encounter. Meeting Zacchaeus. And I don't believe that's a coincidence. Zacchaeus was up the tree. He's looking at Jesus. He was a filthy sinner, chief tax collector, extorting money from Jewish people. He wasn't a nice guy. And he'd made his money from doing that. He went up to the tree, up the tree to have a nosy, yeah? To have a look. It's funny when I say that in America, nosy. I don't know, what's he talking about? But you know, good Irish people. Have a nosy. He went to have a little look just to see what was going on. What happened? Jesus walked up to this man, this filthy sinner, and what did he say? He said, the shortest evangelism technique known to man. Hurry today, I must eat with you. Now go and try that with one of your workmates and see what happens. Hurry today, I must eat with you. That's it. That's all he said. Simple as that. What did Zacchaeus do? Okay. Just like the apple, Zacchaeus came down the tree. Why? <clears throat> because Jesus looked through heaven's lens and he seen a man that was ready. How did, he know, how did Jesus know he was ready? This is what Jesus did. Jesus shared, and the Holy Spirit shook, and the apple came down the tree. Zacchaeus knew what was being asked. Jesus was not hoodwinking him or duping him, because in Jewish culture, when you open your home, you open your heart. That was the way it was. So, so Zacchaeus knew exactly what Jesus was demanding. He was demanding his heart. And you know what? All it took was this. Hurry today. I must eat with you. So what we say today, 
to people, whether you're a drug addict or a pilot flying an airplane. We say this, the same thing as what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. He stands at the door and he knocks. Whoever opens, he'll come and eat with you. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. Will you give it to him? So why can't we stop people in the same manner that Jesus did and said, and say this, right here, right now, he wants your heart. Will you give it to him? Jesus did it with Zacchaeus. I believe we can do it. Because when you share, you have the power of heaven at your disposal. Uh, disposal. The power of God. So you have the, the gospel, the power behind you whenever you share. So for me, this is what happened. Let me give you a, a, a true story on, on how this happened. So I was, one day I was on the streets uh, sharing the gospel. And uh, I was training an American guy. Now Americans are quite enthusiastic, as you all know. I don't know if there's any here, so I better be gentle just in case. But Americans are quite enthusiastic, and I actually love them for that. They're real passionate and, and keep you on your toes, you know. But I was training this, training this American guy one Saturday morning, uh, and, and he's there, and I'm going through the, the tour with him, and, and I can't help but notice this, this family to the corner of my eye. So I say to the guy, I said, look, man, give me five minutes. There's, there's people over there I really feel like I should talk to. So I left him there. I go over to this family. There's a lady called Janet, sat with her daughter, Tanya, who's about 24, and a son, Neil, who's 18, 18. I began, I show them this picture. I show Janet this picture, the lady, who's in her 50s. I say, have you ever seen this picture before? And do you ever pray? And she looks at the picture. She starts filling with tears and says, I can't do this today. And she runs off down the street. So I'm thinking, is she looking at the same picture I'm looking at? No, what, what's, why is she run, running away? But you know what had happened is that God, the Holy Spirit was touching her. The minute she looked, the minute I began to share, he began to shake and something began to change. Long story short, I ran after Janet. I had a decision to make. I thought, do I run after her or do I respect her, her privacy? Well, for me, I, I cared too much about her. And I know Jesus cared too much about her to respect her privacy. So what I decided to do was this. I decided to run after her and just give her a hug. I thought, you know, that's okay, isn't it? You can do that. So that's what I did. I ran after her and gave her a hug, and I just said, look, what, ha what happened, love? What happened? She said, my daughter was murdered years ago, but when I looked at that picture, I felt all those emotions come back to me, and I just felt so sad. So I gave her a hug, and we prayed, and, and long story short, her and her daughter uh, responded to Jesus right there and then. And within a couple of weeks, they, they began to come along to our new believers group that, we, that me and my wife uh, host. Uh, began in our home, but then it went to our, uh, to our church because it, it grew so much. So they came along to our new believers group, and they sat there, and they just cried, the three of them, this family. They just cried as they felt the presence of God, as they felt the touch of his love. And then they began to tell me, Janet, uh, the lady began to tell me about her husband, Neil, uh, who was um, an ex-football hooligan. Uh, and she said, he's not overly enthused about us coming to this, you know, this, this church. And I was like, can I meet him? And she was like, no, he's, he's, he's not keen at all. And I was like, okay, but can I meet him? And uh, so anyway, long story short, we ended up picking, picking them up one day in their estate where they live. Uh, and Neil is stood in the doorway like this. And as his wife and, and kids get in the car, he just starts going crazy. He just starts shouting and screaming threats. I'm going to kill you. Get out of that car now. And he's going absolutely mad. But not at me. A guy, I've got him in the passenger seat. It's only his second week at our group. He's like a brand new believer. So Neil is going absolutely nuts at this guy. I'm shouting out the door, Neil, what's the problem? And he just doesn't, he doesn't hear me. He said later, he said that he had this like tunnel vision and he couldn't see anything but this guy in the car. It was a real demonic thing, but Neil just goes crazy. So anyway, his wife had to get out the car and physically restrain Neil and put him in the house. So we drove off and everyone was a little bit shaken. Uh, especially the guy in the passenger seat's probably thinking, what have I signed up to here, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we go, and the, the next day Neil texts, and he, he, he says, look, I'm sorry, uh, I apologize for what happened. I think it was due to a, a bit of coaxing from his wife, you know? Uh, so anyway, he invited me to his home for a coffee. So I went to his home, and this is what happened. I, I sat down, I had this picture with me. As I walked in with, with my uh, picture in hand, Neil says, don't come into my house and start preaching at me. That's the first thing he said. So I'm thinking, she's right, this guy, he, he isn't too keen, you know. So I sat down, I drank my coffee, 
And Neil just like blabbed on for a little while about random nonsensical stuff. As I was about to leave, I said, look, Neil, could I just pray for you? And he was like, okay. So I just prayed. I was like, Lord, just, just bless him. And just kind of went through a little prayer. In my head, I'm thinking, get me out of here because nothing's happening. So I just prayed a little prayer, nice prayer. And then as I was leaving, I felt the Lord say, invite him to your group. And I'm thinking, there's no way this guy is coming to my group. Lord, if, are you not listening? There's no way this guy, you know, look at the response I'm getting. But, but the Holy Spirit's like, invite him to your group. So I'm about to go out the door, and I just said, look, man, just to let you know, our group's on tonight if you ever want to come. See you later. I'll come, he says. And I turn around, and I'm like, what do you mean? He says, okay, I'll come. Only, only to support my wife, though. That's the only reason I'm coming. So we came along. We sat in our home this one particular night. There was 19 new believers in our living room. And Neil comes in with his tank top vest on, his tattoos, his shaved head. And this is what he says. My church is my football team. I don't believe in God. I'm just here for my wife. Now, everyone's really on edge. It's like the elephant in the room. People are very tense. Even his wife, she's just like slouching in a chair, just like, you know, really, really nervous. So we do our thing. We don't tone it down. We don't dial it down. We praise God. We do exactly what we do, uh, if he, regardless if he was here or not here. And about 20 minutes into it, we're praying, we have a little time of prayer, and uh, I can see Neil, he's like shuffling around in his seat, and, and then he says this, he says, what is happening to me? So everybody's kind of like looking up at him like that. Neil says, for the past 20 minutes, I've felt tingling all over my body, and every time I try and fight it, it comes back stronger. What is going on? So I said, Neil, stand up, and we just stopped the meeting, and as Neil stood up in the corner, I sent a guy who'd been a Christian two weeks, a, a young lad I'd led to the Lord two weeks before. I give him this. I said, go over there and, and lead Neil to Jesus, to this two-week-old Christian. And uh, Because Neil had never seen this because he'd never allowed me to do it, you know. And this young lad went over, 22, 23-year-old lad, second week there. He goes over, he reads this, and Neil gives his life to Jesus. And before everybody right there and then, his whole countenance changed before everybody's eyes. This hardened football hooligan, this man used to run a gang of 500 men uh, arranging football fights in England, where he's from. That's what he did. Just arranged all the different fights. He spent years and years fighting and doing all this kind of stuff. You know, he ended up in like a mental hospital. He tried to kill himself. All crazy, crazy sorts of stories. He'd never left his house Every day he sat in his house. He'd been diagnosed with mental illnesses, personality disorders, all sorts of things. So he just, all he did every day was just sat in, his, sat in his house until somebody shared and the Holy Spirit shook. His whole countenance changed. There were people in that room, there were new believers in that room whose foundations were built that night. You know why? Because they got to see the law of life laid out for them. When you plant, you reap. When you sow, you reap. They got to see, they got to experience the kingdom law in process. And they were forever changed. People's foundations were built. We have people who are going on with Jesus now. And that was some of the early, uh, the first weeks of their, their faith was at that group, seeing this man. Neil, a week later, he, come, he comes to me, he says, can I come on the streets and learn what you do? So that's what he did. Eleven, for 11 months, Neil... For, for about 10 months, five days a week, Neil was on the streets with me every day, leading people to Jesus. Neil was in the EDL, the English Defense League, the National Front. Uh, Neil, uh, Neil's brother was killed by an Asian, so he was a real racist. Neil has led black people to Jesus, Muslims to Jesus. It's incredible what God has done in him. I, I had the privilege to baptize Neil. His, his wife, Janet, his two kids and the, the boyfriend of, of the daughter. All five of those people, I, I was privileged to baptize in the sea. And all five of those people are still going on great guns with Jesus. And do you know why? Because I ran, after, I, I ran after somebody and put my arm around her. That's why. This is not something special. This is not for special people. This is the great commission. And we're all called to be a part of this great commission. Everybody gets to play as John Wimber once said. So my challenge to you is do you want to be involved? 
would you like to be involved? William J. Seymour, uh, who was a, initi the initiator for the Azusa Street Revival, he said this, baptism of the Holy Spirit was for the empowerment of the Great Commission in the last days. What you've been given, what you've been entrusted with, with this gospel, is too good to use it as a pillow. And not even too good, but there's a responsibility for you to, to, uh, to step out. I didn't know what I was doing, but the Holy Spirit gave it to me. So what I'm here to do and why I travel now is because we want to give this away. Because we want to see people come alive. We want to see people get a hold of, the, of their identity, of the mandate that they've been given. I believe this, and I mean this, I'm not just saying it. Every single one, every single one of you in this room here can lead people to Jesus instantly. It can happen, 100% believe it, and I've seen it. I've seen the, the most nervous, awkward, introverted people bear fruit. Honestly, I've seen it. What time am I on? Do I, how long do I have? Okay, so let me just tell you this one quickly because this will really encourage you. I'll be brief, but I went to, we did, we did these things called the leadership sessions. Is that what you came to? Yeah, where we invite churches and leaders and church pastors to come to our church in Coleraine and we take them through like a three, two or three day intensive workshop of all things church, all things pertaining to church, whether it be evangelism, kids work, uh, we just cover the whole lot. So for me, I was taking people on the streets like Dave and uh, I would do the evangelism uh, section. So then I got really annoyed. This, let me tell you why. People kept saying, not you, but people kept saying, this won't work where I come from. It's really good. I love it. It's, it's amazing what you're seeing, but it wouldn't work where I come from. And it really used to annoy me because I knew that the Holy Spirit is universal. I knew sin is universal. I knew God would do exactly the same wherever you're from than what he would do here. All he needed was the laborers because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So I said to my pastor, can I go to some of these churches and shut some of these people up? Because they're really winding me up. Can I go and show them that the gospel will work anywhere? Because to be honest, people use it as an excuse. Oh no, it won't work where I'm from. And they go back and they sit there, put their head on the pillow and carry on. Okay, so this, that's what I began to do. I began to go and travel. The first place I went to, now bear in mind, I was a little nervous. Uh, so the first place I went to was uh, St. Helens, just outside Liverpool. It was a rough, ch uh, a rough community. No gospel presence, nothing going on. Very dark. Uh, a guy I knew, he, he hired, he rented like a scout hall. That was going to be his church. He was planting a church. He said, I want to bring you and two of your new believers for four days to do what you do. And off the back of it, we'll plant a church. So no pressure. Uh, so that's what I was invited to do. So we went and we did it. And you know, it was incredible, you know. Uh, when I got to that point, I'd never, tr I'd never traveled. I'd never spot, uh, done this thing anywhere but my town. So I was nervous, but I knew that I knew the Lord was going to do something. But the problem was they didn't have a town area where people pass by. And that was all I knew because that's all I'd done. So the pastor says, well, actually, we don't have that here. You have to go door to door here. I was like, door to door. And then I you know, conjured up all these visions of JWs and Mormons and everything. So I was like, well, uh, what do you mean door to door? He said, no, that's the only way you do it. You have to go to people's doors. Now, I'd never done it that way. And I was thinking... Does the Holy Spirit work door to door? I wasn't ready. I knew he would. So we went door to door, and what do you know? We see exactly the same things as we see on the street. We share, he shakes, apples fall, and we catch them. So one of these, one of these instances, which we want to tell you about, because this will encourage you, two, two individuals who were on the training that I did, they're both called John, two Johns. Now these men, and I'm not kidding, I'm not exaggerating, these men are probably the most nervous-looking men I've ever laid eyes on. They are like pasty white ghost looking human beings. They are like knee knocking, you know, just, just so unbelievably scared at their own shadow even that I'm thinking, why are they coming out? Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I believe everyone should have a go. But at that time, I'm yet to experience this. So I'm a little nervous. I'm thinking, why are these two coming? They were just so nervous. Anyway, as if that's not bad enough, we're about to leave the building. Everyone, I pair everybody up, one more confident with one less confident. We're leaving the door. I turn around and see the two Johns together. I'm like, how the heck did the two Johns get together? By their own, they're bad enough. 
But together, only joking, but together it's, it's, it's just going to be a recipe for disaster. So I'm thinking that shouldn't have happened. Anyway, we go off, we disperse into the different communities, the different streets. It transpires the two Johns end up in the worst street in the community. Now this was very, very much the Lord to, to show me and to show everybody else how he does it. So the two Johns, they go down this street. This is what happens. Knock the door. This guy opens the door. Yeah, what do you want? They said, we're here to show you this picture and, and they're like this. We, we want to show this picture. This guy says, listen, I can't be seen to be talking to you on this street. I have a reputation. Get in the house. Quick, hurry up. So the two Johns come into the house. Now, the guy who opened the door is a guy called Ricky. He's a gangster. Ricky has scars all over his face. This is what Ricky says. I don't know what you want, but I've got to tell you this. I have warrants out for my arrest for kidnap and torture. This is a true story. <laughs> That's what he says to the two Johns. Now, these guys are knee-knocking, ghost-like people. You know, they're so pale and pasty-looking and so nervous. And, you know, I can't describe it enough, but they are. So Ricky says, what do you want? And they said, well, we, 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 you know, they're fumbling around. We want to show you this thing. And he's like, I'll tell you what, look, go in there, sit down. I'll put the kettle on. We'll have a brew, which means cup of tea. Okay, so they go in there. They're stand, sorry, they're standing in the hallway. Ricky goes in, puts the kettle on. They hear the rustling of cutlery, and they're thinking knives and all sorts. And the, <laughs> their, their imagination's going crazy. Uh, one of the Johns says, should we make a run for it? <laughs> so picture this, two evangelists. Go into a door, you get the invite, that should be breakthrough moment. They stand there, should we make a run for it? <laughs> okay, so one of the Johns says this, he says, no, we can't run. He says, I have to see it through. I have to know that I, at least I did it once, that I followed through once. Now, what's special about that is the guy who said that, he was in a padded mental cell three years prior to that. He lost his mind. He was in a padded cell, lost his marbles, and the Holy Spirit met him and saved him. That's the guy who said that. He said, I can't go. So it was understandable why he was nervous and he was, he was you know, the Lord was only heal it, beginning to heal him. He said, I can't, I've got to see it through. So they stayed. They went into the living room. Ricky comes with a cup of tea. He's like, okay, what's going on? So they go through this thing. Now, they've never done this. They literally just read it. Da, 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 da. Ricky was like, okay, yeah, I'll let him in, yeah. Uh, so they prayed for him to, to open his heart to Jesus, this gangster with warrants after his arrest. So Ricky prays, they go, skipping down the street, elated. I think that was the only house they went to because they were just so happy. They, they couldn't stop talking about it and telling everybody. So the next day, this is what transpires. Ricky wakes up. He starts smoking on his crack pipe because that's what he'd always done. And let me tell you this quickly, though. Zacchaeus, yeah? When Jesus stopped Zacchaeus, there were no signs of repentance. The repentance came after. A lot of the time we're looking for repentance before we deem them worthy to share the gospel. When Zacchaeus went home, he said, I'm going to give back what I've stolen. Not before. He starts smoking on his crack pipe. The crack has no effect on him. The drugs has no effect on him. And he's thinking, what's going on? Why, why is that not working? So he puts it down. He picks up the alcohol. He just keeps bringing the alcohol up. And then he has this little light bulb moment. The two Johns with the picture. And I prayed and opened the door and he remembers. Then the, the horn goes outside. It's his friends beeping the horn. Like, Ricky, come on. We've got to go. So he gets in the car. They're driving down the street. The police pull him over. All these gangsters in the car. The police says, what's your name? Give us your details. Ricky's got it off to Pat, his, his false details, false address, false date of birth. He hears a voice in his head that says, tell the truth. So Ricky tells the truth. And he stands there and he waits to be arrested. The policeman comes back. He says, okay, you can go. And Ricky's like, what do you mean? He says, you can go. There's, there's nothing for you. Do you know what Ricky did? He left his friends there and he came straight to us, straight to our mission, straight to our scout hall. And this is what he said. Jesus has wiped away my past. That's what he said. This hardened man, this chief of sinner, he said, Jesus has wiped away my past. Now, as if that wasn't good enough, then Ricky begins to do this. He begins to repent. He takes a spliff from behind his ear. He opens the bin. He says, I don't want that. He takes out a pocket watch he, and he says to me, can you get that back to the man I stole it from? I'm like, I'm not even from around here, man. <laughs> what he's doing, he's repenting. That's what he's doing. He's taking things out everywhere. He's like, I don't want this. I don't want that. Get that back to him. Get that back to him. He's repenting. He had to meet Jesus for, before the repentance came. Now, what was incredible about this is that as we're gathered around the, the, the kitchen area, me and the pastor and Ricky, 
John, who was in the padded cell, he's over in the corner. Now, John doesn't even feel worthy to be stood with the pastors. So John's just in the corner, and he's working away, and he's cleaning up and putting, putting the dishes away. And as Ricky's telling the story, I just look at John, and John's looking at, at Ricky, and he's glowing. He's glowing like a kid on Christmas Day. Do you know why? Because he's looking and he's saying, I did that. Because I didn't run. Because I seen it through. This is what happened. And when I seen that, that changed me. That changed the way I, I, I do things. I mean, it was the beginning, but it changed. It kind of set the course. It set the trajectory for the road I was going to go down. Because I realized something. I'm looking for Johns. I'm looking for the Johns. I'm looking for you guys who maybe slump down in your chair and think, that's not me. I'm too introverted. I, I'm not good with people. I wouldn't know what to say. What if they get angry with me? All them things. That's who I'm looking for. Because the Lord showed me two Johns can do it. If they can do it, anybody can do it. Because the gospel, this gift that we've been given, is for disciples. If you're a disciple in this room this morning, you have a responsibility. It's not to be feared, it's to be embraced because it's such an honor. Me and my wife, we've got to see so many people's lives transformed. We've got to see families made whole. Kids who have no fathers have got the fathers back. Broken people have been restored. It's incredible to see. If that's not something that I'd ever want to miss out on, and I'd never want you to miss out on it either. You can do this thing. You, we've just got to break down the, the fear and the walls and the lies because the devil wants to stop you. If, if, if I could think of one thing, that the devil, if the devil could do one thing to disable the disciples of today, if he could cripple the church today, what would be the one way, one smart way of doing it? To convince you guys that you can't do this. Because if he convinces you, he's won, he's won a, a big part of the battle, hasn't he? There are people on your doorstep who are crying out, crying out for Jesus. They just don't know it. All you have to do is share and he will shake. The power comes from him, but the BO comes from you. That's all we need. BO, boldness and obedience and he'll do the rest. So what I'd like to do is pray for you guys um, and pray that the Lord will ignite something in you to this morning. If anybody wants to you know, know, know more, we have a, a website where we, what we want to do is enable people to uh, you know, I go around, I train this to different communities and churches and stuff. And, but, you know, what, what we'd like to do is if anyone wants to get in touch, we can, you know, we can send you anything you need. It's all free. Uh, all we want to do is enable the body of Christ to be, uh, to be reapers, to reap. So uh, that's, that's why I left my job. I stepped down from, from my position as an evangelist after three years um, at the end of February because I was really, uh, I felt really grieved uh, by the Holy Spirit at people in other communities who've never heard the gospel. I couldn't stay in one town five days a week sharing the gospel with people who've already heard it when I know there's people perishing in other cities, towns, and nations. So I believe that God put a mandate on me and my wife and our family to take this to, to the nations. <clears throat> and God has opened the way so, uh, in such a short time. He's opened the way for us to do that. Uh, and it's, it's incredible. Because we need to, we need to be r the rescuers. I lost my school friend last year, my best friend from school. He died last year, same age as me. He, he, he drank too much and took too many drugs and died. <clears throat> and I was upset, obviously. But more than that, I was grieved to my spirit. Because I knew in that community where he was from, that there's people there who've never heard this gospel. They've never had the chance to be ignited by this power. That's not right. And if those people in that community won't do it, then what I'll do is I'll go and I'll, tr I'll teach them how to do it. And if they won't do it, then I'll do it myself. And maybe there'll be one or two, just like John's, who God will raise up to step out and do it. So my challenge is this. Will you be like John? Will you be someone who'll step out in your fear, in your nervousness, we sit in church and in conferences and we say, God, give us more power and I'll go. But he says, you go and I'll give you more power. This is about faith. We don't sit in the boat where everything's comfortable and say, God, you, you bring it to us. When Peter went to the eunuch, uh, sorry, Philip went to the eunuch, 
the Ethiopian, the Holy Spirit said this, go twice. Philip was an evangelist. He's the guy who knew what he was doing. And the Holy Spirit said twice to him, go, you go. And then he said, run. He had to run. Let me tell you this, what the Holy Spirit showed me. When he got to the eunuch, he baptized him and then he was transported away. It wasn't the other way around. He didn't sit in his armchair watching Coronation Street, get transported to the eunuch, do what he did and then run home excited. He had to count the cost if you want to see the lost. You've got to make the move. Philip ran. He ran. He showed God that he was willing to engage. He showed God that he was willing to count the cost. You share, he shakes. You ride, he waits. The Holy Spirit showed me a picture of a tandem bike. The one on the back has to start pedaling. The Holy Spirit is in the front of the bike and he's like, who's going to start pedaling? And you know he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's like, who will start pedaling? Because I'll take you where you need to go. But you've got to start moving. You've got to move. You've got to, you've got to step out and be oh. If you don't move, nothing's going to happen. And the only difference between what I'm seeing and what you're not seeing is because we're going. That's it. I don't have all the answers. But I know that I have power in my hand and in my heart, just as you do. So Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. I just ask you, Lord, for your fire to fall in this place. Lord, I pray that you would awaken something inside of the individuals in this church. Lord, I pray you'd awaken uh, that mandate, Lord, to reach the lost. I thank you this is not for superstars, but Lord, this is for the church. This is for disciples. This is for Johns. This is for all of us, Lord. Nobody's exempt because this great commission is such a gift to, to uh, the body of Christ, Lord, that you want everybody to play. You want everybody to be involved in this honor. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you now, Lord, for your presence to fall in this place. I pray that you'd awaken a hunger for souls. Lord, I pray you'd awaken a hunger. I, I bind every fear of man, uh, every demonic fear and lie over this church or over the people here. I bind in Jesus' name and I release boldness and obedience into every single uh, congregation member in this, sat in this place right now. Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would stir fire now. Lord, I pray for your fire. When, we, when the, the disciples waited in the upper room and they tarried and they waited for your Holy Spirit, you came and you rested upon them as tongues of fire. So Lord, I ask you to do that in this place. I ask you to rest upon these people here as tongues of fire. Lord, you said that, that you will empower us to go and share. Jesus, when you called your disciples, you said, come and follow me. Come and be like me. A fisher of men. A fisher of men, Lord. And it breaks my heart that, that this has become uh, such a, a limited outlet with the church, Lord. This has become such a marginalized movement. But Lord, it should be everything. It should be the heart of the church, Lord. And I pray that you revive this church today. And I just want to ask you, if you feel, if you feel a stirring in your heart, if you feel the Holy Spirit particularly stirring you, uh, I'd like to ask you to stand because um, I would like to pray over you. If you feel God is really, really stirring something inside of you, maybe you've been feeling emotional through this morning, you're feeling something inside of your spirit stirring, and you know God is, is challenging you to step up and to step out, then I, I would just ask you to respond uh, by standing. And I would like to pray for you specifically. <clears throat> you know, the thing is, is that God will not force you from your armchair to share the gospel. He'll not force you. He loves you too much for that. But he implores you and he calls you. He says, will you come and follow me? Will you come and be a fisher of men? So Holy Spirit, I ask you now, I ask you for your power to rest, your power to fall. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you release it now? Just release it, Lord. I know what it's like to be nervous. I know what it's like to be scared. I know what it's like to feel that I don't have what it takes but Lord, you, you are the one with the power. You are the one who gives us what we need. So Lord, I pray for faith to rise in this room. Just release it now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, rest upon these guys. Rest upon them. For some of the younger guys here, there's some uh, younger crowd here, teenagers and stuff, and just feel that, that God wants to empower you in your churches, in your, uh, sorry, in your schools and in your colleges. To, to step up. This thing is not age dependent. God will use anybody who's willing. 
God will partner with anybody. All you've got to do is apply that BO. And if you're, if you're a, a young person here this morning, then I'd encourage you, if you feel God stirring you, I'd encourage you to stand also because I believe God wants to raise you up in your school and your college uh, to be a young person who doesn't just talk about it, who, who doesn't just stand there and hope that they see God in me, but will open the mouth and begin to share that he may shake. So Holy Spirit, would your fire come in this place, Lord? I pray an awakening, Lord. I pray uh, for this church, Lord. I pray that in this, uh, this, this day that's happened, uh, this, uh, this day where all the churches are gathering, Lord, a global uh, outreach day, Lord, I pray that that would be significant for this church family, Lord. I pray that that would awaken a desire uh, to see that they can do this thing. Lord, I just ask you that, that today, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would push open the doors and, and, and many would begin to walk through them. Holy Spirit, it's something only you can do. But Lord, I pray through this message that you would awaken something. This is not a guilt message. It's not something that we have to feel guilty about, but it's something that we can be, be excited about. Thank you for the lives that, that are going to be changed in this community. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for a handful of forerunners that you would raise up, Lord, in this place that could lead the way. Have your way, Lord. We bless these guys, Lord. Just release it. Release it, Lord. Expectation. Expectation to harvest. I pray in Jesus' name. Just let it fall, Lord. Let it fall in Jesus' name. Have your way. And if anybody, you know, we'll be sticking around if anybody wants to, to get a chat. And as I say, uh, if you want to contact our website at jesusatthedoor.com, uh, we'll happily take you through anything that we can to enable you, to encourage you. you know, we have people from all, all over the world who are engaging with us and we're encouraging them and linking in with them uh, to step out and do this thing. One thing I would say to you just in closing is that it is a lie where you think this will not work in my community because I've traveled all over, all over the place and they say, you don't know what it's like in our culture. I was in America and they said, you don't know what it's like in our culture. Our culture is different, but I've seen the same things. And not just me, those that I trained went out and seen the same things. Um, so yeah, I just encourage you, step out, be blessed.